Welcome back, everybody, to Office Hours, stay-at-home style. Yes. I'm one half of your hosting team, David Patino, along here with... Ashton Staniszewski. We're always at home, and, you know, the whole work-from-home lifestyle is... I've been training my... I've been training my whole life for this. No, I know, right? Like, I'm I'm really comfortable just doing this. I mean, as comfortable as you can for... Well... For not being able to go anywhere. Yeah, I mean, I was on the phone with a rep the other day, and she was asking me, are you, how are you doing with the whole stay-at-home thing? And I'm like, it's kind of like regular life. Like, I just kind of... I mean, I'm in a good spot because, like, I live in my studio. So, like, I don't have to go anywhere, usually. So I don't. So this is just, like, regular. I don't know. Like, the first two weeks of this whole thing, my wife was losing her shit because she couldn't go out and film. And I was, like, just getting up every morning and going to work. I was like, here we go. I'm like, I I go on maybe (laughs) one extra dog walk (laughs) nowadays. So it's... Yeah, I guess it's massively different. I'm walking. I'm walking an extra forty-five minutes a day. Yeah, so you're home more to take care of the dog. It's yeah, probably. That's, that's, I mean, that's really all I'm here for to begin with. It's my my sole purpose right now is just dog maintenance. Yeah. No, I don't know. It's uh, we could talk about it forever, but I'm not going to. I'll just say yeah, this. I, mean, I hope uh, everybody's doing well, and uh, it's going to be fucking weird for a while, but hang in there. It'll get better. Here, here. Yeah, agreed. <laughs> I think. Yeah, the the I can encapsulate it with. Very interesting time to be alive, and thankful for that, you know. And we'll uh, we'll we'll be there at the end of this. And if Everyone, you need something to do, go get a dog. That's it. They are <laughs> they take a lot of time, and they they're good for walks. See, so they make your life better in all the best ways. <laughs> oh my god! Um, what about work? Are you working? Is uh, do you yeah, still do I mean, that? Wrapping up some projects. We had our big we had our big project together uh, a week. A week in the studio. We, we yes, we did. Each other. We yeah. did. <laughs> uh, we, 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 we worked as this thing crashed all around us. Yeah. It was like being in a, in a burning room. It was interesting because we were in this little, we were in a room watching everything happen outside. Yeah, like <laughs> literally the TV in the background, everyone's yeah. chiming with like, this is now shut down. You shouldn't be out here. And we're like, all right, well, here we go. And we, and then, and then it was like, Oh man, we have to go to the grocery store to buy more props for this food styling we have to do. And then you get to the grocery store and there'd be nothing there. I, I do think it was, I think it was, it made me feel uncomfortable a little bit to be like, we were shopping for like props. So yeah. we're buying like very random things, miscellaneous items. And you see all these people panic shopping, you know, they're like stocking up for the long haul. And they're like, what are you guys buying? And we're like, um, photo shoots. Yeah. And then there's Ashton at the, at the, like the, you know, bakery counter being like, do you have any cookies that look pretty? Yeah, I was like, do you guys have, I, I went to a, I went to a, a, a grocery store and I go up to a, the bakery counter and I ask for, I was looking for a beautiful cookie. I need, I needed artisanal cookies. There you go. And I mean, and rightfully so, the person looks at me going like, are you serious, dude? Get out of my store. <laughs> I just, just to, I need to just say this, like this was four weeks ago, by the way. This was, this is not yeah, like we, was we didn't just this do this last week. This was four this weeks This was before ago. the yeah. worst. This was before the worst of it. We were still in this whole yeah. like, mm, maybe. It was actually the, trouble. it was the Wednesday or Thursday of that week that New Jersey declared stay at home. So it was like, we were, you were here already. We were yeah, doing this. Here. It was, and then all of a sudden at the end of the week, they were like, hey, everybody, you should stay inside. And so it's not like we were doing this last week. Everybody just see. So yeah, Don't we're, hate we're, us too we're, much. <laughs> we're sane people. We're reasonably sane people. Yeah. Um, with just really, with really shitty timing. That's all. Yeah, <laughs> yeah absolutely. Abs- Didn't make sense to cancel it. Such the whole thing as if it was 
unfolding in front of them. It was kind it was of like surreal. watching. It was like watching a Twitch stream where they like you know they yeah uh, the audience tells the gamer what to do exactly. Yeah, that was kind of like it was kind of it. I'm gonna start twitching all of my photo shoots. That's a that <laughs> terrible idea. <laughs> what was what's the joke? How many photographers have taken the screw to light bulb? Yeah, a hundred wanted to do the actual thing, and ninety nine said they could have done it better. Exactly. I'd be like well, that. I, I would have placed that light differently. It's um, so good. <laughs> See, that's my biggest fear about producing how tos or YouTube videos or any of that is that that blowback that you don't know what the fuck you're talking about or that you should be doing it this way from the 900 people, but um, they're probably right. <laughs> go go look in the bread aisle of your local grocery store. Well, not maybe not now, but like yeah. <laughs> notice how there's more than one type and one brand. Like yeah. so, just you know, get over yourself, man. Like I don't know, I, I something I, for to, everybody. To your point, like. Just because you have a different, like, just because someone thinks differently doesn't mean you shouldn't make it. You know what I mean? Exactly. So, like, if someone's got some serious, I, I had a comment on one of my photos that was like, I would have done this personally, which was like, ha, cool, thumbs awesome. up. Yeah, you know, like, N- next time I'll check with you. For, for sure. Like, make sure I get <laughs> approval on this before I put it out there. <laughs> it's, a, I, you know what it is? I can take the absurd comments. It's the ones I agree with that bother me the most. <laughs> right? Like I can take the, I, years ago I did a YouTube video for somebody and I believe the first comment is nice mullet or something like that. <laughs> like I can take that. Yeah. I, I had a bad haircut and I looked weird and you know, I wrote, I liked the comment right away. I was like, hell yeah. Way to point that out. But uh, yeah, it's when they're like, man, I think your, your white balance is off. That's when I'm like, ah, oh, that's, that's the kick to the stomach. I can't take <laughs> make fun of me all you want, but God damn it. If you're slightly right in your critique of my work, I'm going to go climb into a closet. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. But I, that's I, me. <laughs> yeah, I mean, no, I'm, I'm not disagreeing. I've, I've, I've felt that kick to the gut a couple times in my life. Yep. Probably more than I that. can remember. What do we got yeah. going on today, though? On this episode of the podcast, we have a, a guest. His name is Scott Hartman. He's the director of production at a advertising marketing agency in midtown atlanta one that i used to work at uh really good dude and actually really interesting story so scott is um former broadcast journalist who jumped the fence to do corporate community like communication more public relations that kind of thing the other half of that that whole uh, equation as a broadcast journalist having the chops to do some light video work parlayed his skill set into starting the video production arm at the agency he works at. And he's been there for 17 years, I think is what we, we talked through, mm-hmm. um, of which I think me and him have known each other for about 10. So, yeah, I mean, uh, and and I think what's really interesting in our, our talk with him is you can kind of, it's the, the, the progression of a career path, right? And it's all built with the underpinnings of just doing the work, right? you know, here are some problems, here are some things to do. I wanted to, like, I want to make this thing and I'm going to go do that thing. And seeing what that kind of can chart in terms of a, a career path and, you know, in terms of being fulfilled and accomplished. I think it's it's a really, it's a good reminder that, you know, you don't have to have the best laid plans when it comes to doing what we do for a living. So on the program today, live from uh, Georgia, we have Scott Hartman with us. How long have you guys known each other? Ashton, how long have we known each other? Like nine years? Maybe ten, ten almost. Yeah. Ten years. Okay, so About you're going ten. 
You're going on a while, though. Yeah, it's a hot. Minute. I remember when you came and interviewed. I remember when you came and interviewed. I know. I was you were bright-eyed so and bushy-tailed. Bright-eyed and bushy-tailed. <laughs> yeah, was not ruined Malaga. by the world. Um, very ambitious, and you know, thought I could do it all, and then very quickly. Mm. Battle well, at any Don't rate, sell yourself Scott, short. <laughs> welcome. Thanks for joining us today. Thanks for having me. I'm a uh, longtime fan, first-time caller, guys. There you go. <laughs> it only works when we call you. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> so, Scott, you are... Well, so let's just... I mean, you know, obviously we're in a weird time right now, right? So you're working from home, I'm guessing? I am working from home right <laughs> now. Um, but luckily, that's... Yeah, as you guys know because you you pretty much do that it's not that hard to do um especially on the post-production side but as you also know on the shoot side that's where things get tough because nobody wants (laughs) nobody wants to have a shoot right now and i can't imagine why (laughs) that seems to be the uh the growing issue with photographers and video people alike (laughs) no no work to be done we want to do the work but nobody wants to be filmed a lot of planning going on the long reach class that's what you need right now I have proposed I have proposed some drone shoots simply because I can stay far away from the scene. There you go. See, problem solvers. That's like what that. we need to be right now. I'm waiting for someone to like do in a full cinematic thing with like just the camera on a drone. It's like, oh yes, we did a medium tight shot with a, a Mavic. Three feet off their face. Uh-huh. <laughs> Extreme close up. <laughs> you could. It would be a it would be a big ADR job afterwards. Yeah, right. It, it could <laughs> be all silent films. That's where we're going right now. All silent films. Yep. So Scott, you've been in the game for for a while now. It sounds like. You're yeah, not, I have. Um, <laughs> you're, I guess you're not a newcomer. It it depends, I guess, what you consider the game. My career has been a little weird and uh, taken a lot of turns. But I, I started in a uh, local television. Um, backing up, I grew up in a in a television family. My dad was an anchor in Atlanta for about forty years. Um, so I sort of grew up around television news. Um, and then in college thought I was going to be a doctor. Uh, so I was pre-med <laughs> until I failed uh, my third chemistry class and then decided I should change my major. Um, so I went into journalism, got a telecommunications degree, uh, became a anchor reporter type like my father had been. Um, then I got married and very quickly realized that schedule is no good for a family and to be married with. And I grew up in it, so I sure, should know. Sure. But you were, Uh, so you were on camera. You were other side. Oh yeah. 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 I was, I was an anchor and a reporter. Crazy. Uh, voiceover guy. Still do a little bit of that stuff. Mm -hmm. I feel like somewhere on YouTube is like a bunch of your real stuff. Like, you know, your sports reporter slash anchor desk reel. It's gotta be out there. I feel like we should make a call. If you can find it out there, listen to land. (laughs) We will. Let me, let me spoil it for you. You can go to my YouTube page. It's (laughs) Scott Hartman on YouTube. I uploaded it. It's there. You can totally see it. I'm not. I'm not ashamed. <laughs> so you spent. A, so you were a broadcast journal, a broadcast journalist for a number of years, um, and then from there you made the jump over to the corporate world. Um, I guess you know wh- where was that transition or inflection point for you, and how did that? What did that look like? So um, I spent about four years in broadcast media um, as an anchor, mostly doing sports, although I did do some freelance work at a fledgling um, news network that I think is out of business now, (laughs) Um, and eventually just realized I needed to get out of TV. Um, It just wasn't going to work. My wife and I, you know, didn't want to live that life. I grew up in that life. Um, So I started calling around, just cold calling uh, agencies. 
um, because there was a very there was a very typical move that reporters and journalists made, which was I'm going to become a public relations person now because I was a journalist, and so I took that same path and um, ended up at the agency actually where I currently work, and I've been there about 17 years. Um, but well, at first, I was a straight up PR dude. I like took members of the media to lunch and called and made pitches and said, you should come cover my client's event. Um, but the funny thing was very quickly, I realized that anytime we had even the lowest production need, we would farm that out. I mean, the, the most basic media B roll, you know, thing we would pay another company to do it. So I finally just said, guys, if we make a modest investment in equipment, I can do this stuff. Like, I'm not the sharpest tool in the shed, but I can do these things that we're being asked to do. Right. Um, and a lot of that very early on was, you know, media B-roll and media training, helping people get better on camera, which I still do today, actually. Um, and then over time, it, it, it morphed into more complex sales, promotions, slicker stuff. But it was very much at the beginning a... Uh, just a, I saw us farming work out that I knew I could do even with my limited production experience in television. And I said, why don't we just do this ourselves? So you guys had no, there was no production in-house at that point. There was nothing, literally. No, 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 no production capability in-house at all. It was strictly a public relations firm with, you know, account executive type people. Yep. Um, and and uh, anything was farmed out. That's cool. So you made a whole new position for yourself. I did. Uh, and that was cool. For about three years, right. I had to do both. For, for about three years, I did both production and I continued to be like a PR guy, uh, you know, talking to the media, writing pitches, writing bylined articles, did a lot of writing. Um, and then after about three years, we realized we had, you know, just enough business for me to transition full time sure. into the video stuff. So, and then, so you've been there for 17 years now. 17 years. That's a long time. I know, it is. People don't do that anymore. <laughs> no. I think one of the reasons I am, though, too, is because, you know, it was my thing, and I kind of birthed it, and I was able to shape it the way I wanted it. And this is all going on. I think it's very important to point out. This is all going on as sort of the democratization of video production is happening. You know, like, gear is getting cheaper. You know, Avid's got a free version. I remember I used Avid's Back then, Avid had a, a version called Avid Free DV, and right, I right. used that as my editor um, on a PC, you know, and now I'm a super Mac guy. But um, yeah, I mean, this is all happening as that democratization is going on, and so we could do things, and we could do them at very reasonable costs because we were just getting our feet wet, and we were taking on small bites at a time. Sure. So this is what? It's like 2000, early 2000s, mid-2000s? 2000, 2004. Let's call it 2004 or 2005. Okay. So digital age. Yep. Ish. So not too expensive. <laughs> ish. <laughs> yeah. Um, shoot shoot on lots of DV tape. Gosh. I was going to say, DV, yeah. So, so, so you DV had a tapes. lot of that. And you were doing everything, though, from start to finish. You were the out in the field, and then you were doing all the editing. And you were still managing all of your account side stuff as well, right? Correct. Yeah, correct. And I was still, you know, I'd, I'd have a byline article for a pest control company due tomorrow, but also be working <laughs> on my edit of the thing we shot three days ago for, you know, client C over there. Uh, so yeah, juggling, juggling a lot of stuff. Although I think that's partly what kept it interesting is having to juggle all the things. I was going to say 17 years in, but no two days are the same probably. Yeah, pretty much. Um, and, you know, 
we, I wrote a lot of the, the things. I was basically the script writer on many things or most things. Um, yeah, the planner, the, execu- the executioner, <laughs> all that stuff. But yeah, it, it did it did make it interesting for sure. That's pretty wild because y- usually you see people who, especially in video production, they that's how everybody starts out doing everything, right? You're the you're the one man band. You got a camera, you got a computer, you can do it all, and then little by little you realize that the jobs get bigger and the you know the budgets get bigger and there needs to be more people around and you know usually you you kind of the hard part is that growing section right where you got to find the money to do that what's kind of nice is that you had somebody else with money behind you maybe not a lot and maybe not someone who wanted to spend it but you know but you did have this agency riding there along with you to to kind of as long as you could sell them on it you could probably get them on board right Absolutely. And, you know, I came from small market television where, I mean, every penny is pinched until yeah. it's flattened like yeah, a train yeah. ran over it. <laughs> and and so I, I do take a fairly frugal approach to things. And when I was proposing that we sort of segue into this video production area, I mean, I was doing everything as cheap as I could. But what was funny, and this, David, this is what you're talking about, is they would say, like, you know, you don't have to do this as cheap as possible. Right. Like, we, like we've got your back. Right. Um, and I would say, no, but you know, we, but it can be done this way. Everything's getting cheaper. <laughs> Everything's getting cheaper, you see? Um, and so it was kind of a mix of those things, though. It was having backing from a group of people who kind of believed in me and, and me believing that I wasn't going to be irresponsible with anybody's money or budget. The tough part was, you know, at that point, I had worked in small market television. I had been a one-man band, reporter, photographer, editor, video, videographer, um, so that was my background, and but I I did not purport to be an expert in production. I was very competent, um, uh, but you know if I needed a helicopter, that was going to be complicated. You know I, I didn't know where to find a helicopter in two thousand four. Although I, I did find a vendor for that, <laughs> um, <laughs> but um, so I was, I was super duper modest at the beginning, maybe to a fault. Um, and I sort of was always like, well, we, if you don't like this, you know, we, I, I can change it. We can make it better. Um, yeah, this is just a jumping off point. Yeah. Yeah. That's the ticket. Um, so, uh, I, but I also was very, I was very concerned about over promising and under delivering and I would much rather under promise and over deliver. And I still believe that today. Always, always. So th- this is cool because I love the fact that you started a business within a business. Right. Like it's it's yeah. such a unique position to be in where, you know, you, you obviously had the support from everybody behind you because they trusted you enough to, to throw you the, you know, the couple hundred bucks that you asked for and, 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 and kit out the place. But like, what a, what an interesting point where, you know, you, you walk in and go, Hey, everybody, I can make us more money. And everybody went like, really? Yeah. <laughs> somehow I mean- you sold them on it. Yeah, and to their credit, I mean, the agency, this agency started as a break off of like a multinational firm, right. uh, as a small agency broken off of that, and so they they have always encouraged, um, you know, entrepreneurial spirit. They like to say, and I guess that's what I was doing. Although yeah. I I don't consider myself an entrepreneur, I consider myself more of a problem solver. And the problem right. I saw was. We're 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 have to throw money to outside vendors every yeah. time we need even the smallest little thing done. Let's keep that money in house. I'm sure there's big stuff we will kick out because we can't because I can't do it. But sure. Um, and I guess that is being entrepreneurial. But I definitely looked at it more of like maybe I can solve this problem. 
Right. It is, though. I mean, literally what you did was the same thing that anybody else who's ever started their own business did. Just you did it while getting a paycheck. Yeah, that's that, Which that's is awesome. true. So, yeah. And I mean, I've learned, you know, I definitely have gotten, look, I wasn't a business major and I don't have an MBA, but I do think I've sort of gotten an on the job MBA a little bit. Um, oh, yeah. You know, and I, I, it's funny, I think I know more business stuff than I let on sometimes because I have this perception there are people that are much smarter at that than me. And there right. are. But at this point, because I've been there so long, it's like, I've been around the block. Like, I know how this project works or I know how this client's going to work. And I know that thing you say is going to happen on Tuesday isn't going to happen until Friday. Right. <laughs> you know, like I've just seen, I, I'm starting to appreciate the experience that I have now for sure. Oh, yeah, definitely. Definitely. It comes with the territory. <laughs> yeah. And and so, um, you know, that was like 2004, 2005, 2006. We're all spent in kind of that Mickey Mouse playland of video. Like it, nothing was terribly complicated. And I remember getting um, asked to do a project for a company that wanted to build a big desalinization plant. If you know what that is, where they take mm -hmm. seawater and convert it to freshwater. And I was like, this is so cool. Like, I want to do something outside the box and... That was the project that maybe to other people, it didn't look that much more sophisticated, but I actually planned stuff, you know, <laughs> on that project. And we, uh, it was all about how water is a scarce resource and it's dwindling and we've got to find a way to make more. And I, I took this glass, like pint glass, and I drilled a hole in the bottom of it so that I could do this visual where we filled up the glass and then it like emptied out like onto a table, actually, I made a huge mess. <laughs> But it was a really cool visual, and I was really proud of that at the time. It was the first time I used like a motion background on something, you know. Um, and that was around, I think, 2006 when that project landed. Um, and so instantly, I kind of started to realize I could do more sophisticated stuff. Um, but I also knew I couldn't do it by myself. So we ended up hiring uh, a lady who I actually went to college with, who was working at the Fox Sports, uh, the like the Fox Sports Network affiliate in Midtown Atlanta. Funny. Um, she and I had run into each other because my office was right there too. And um, we hired her and she was, because she worked in promotions for Fox Sports. So, you know, think of, think of like promotional video shoots. Right. Like, you know, oh, we're going to go dunk basketballs with the Hawks, you know, in a one light dark gym, yeah. you know, and we're going to use that to make promos. That's what she did. So she had a much more creative slant towards things sure, than sure. I did. So I appreciated that once we got her on board. <laughs> and how big is the team now? So the team now is four people. It was six at one point, flexed okay. all the way up to six when Ashton was with us. Um, and now we're down to four. It's funny, we have it's funny how we have grown in the types of jobs we've done and frankly, in the rates that we charge for this stuff. And now I do farm, not a lot of stuff, but I, I am, we do farm stuff out now, you know, and, yeah. and like, we're going to hire a sound engineer for this shoot. I'm not doing sure. it myself, you know, because he's going to do a better job. Um, right. And we're going to hire a photographer. We're not going to try to shoot this. I, I'm not a photographer. I, I played one for a hot minute there about 10 years ago. Um, so, uh, it's funny how we have gone from people who were benefiting from the democratization and 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 things being able to get smaller and smaller to getting bigger and bigger and bigger and now right. things get more expensive. So that's a tricky that's a tricky thing um, to do. But now the team is four, and we're we we do good work. I'm really proud of what we do now. Yeah, it's crazy. I see so many production companies, and these are friends of mine. I'm not speaking poorly about them at all. But like, you know, I've watched guys who have gone from like 
started on their own to having, you know, six, 10, 15 employees. And now Mm -hmm. they're back down to like, you know, four or five employees. And the work is still, nothing's really changed as far as the deliverable goes. You know, like it all always looked really good, but like, why did you need all those people at that point? And then, you know, do you really need to carry all that weight with you? I mean, I think that's like a big thing is like, you know, you want to have the big crew, you want to have all the cool gear, you want to have all the stuff, but it, really at the end of the day, do you need that shit or not? You know, like. You know, just about a month ago, I shot two TV spots that are actually going to air in the Northeast. So David, oh, you cool. might see them. I'll take a look. <laughs> um, they're uh, for, uh, we'll talk offline, but it's yeah. for a North, North, Northeastern pest control company. Um, and I, Ashton actually I was part of this conversation. I was speaking to somebody uh, a week ago and they were like, and I said, you know, there was like 26 people on this set all total. Right. And they're like, wow, how big was the crew? And I was like, well, there was me, <laughs> there was Charlie and there was Ben. So there were three people, you know, even as a production got big, gets bigger, sure. I still kind of say, well, it's, it's me and these two other guys. Or, yeah. And this lady, you know, we're all, it's, you know, we're all doing in this together. I, I still think that it can still be an intimate experience, even though there's makeup oh, totally. people and wardrobe people behind the scenes. And I, and I like it that way. I, I want it to always feel that way. I always, my favorite phone call on any larger scale production is the the one that happens the week before where I go, so we're ordering catering. Uh, how many people are coming from the agency? And they're like 12. And you're like, okay, there's two on my team. There's three talent two from the client and then there's 12 from the agency. Awesome. <laughs> yeah. It's um it's cool. always something to, it's always something to hear, but uh, you know, I mean I I like having everybody on the side. Oh, hell I, yeah. I, I don't I I one thing on that particular shoot is I kind of knew that all 23 other people weren't like watching us like they were doing what they needed to do and a lot yeah. of them just had their laptops open and they were working on other work. Um I have done a shoot though where there was like 10 extra people and i mean they were all watching sure we had a, we had a monitor strung out you know about 50 feet away so they kind of had a poor man's video village um i did not love that experience um because they were all watching and it's just like that's a lot of a lot of cooks. that's a lot of eyeballs who can have a lot of different opinions and uh we have to make our day you know we have we have six hours to to film the spot you know or whatever so that can be a little nerve-wracking like I've been on large scale productions as a still photographer guy where there's three grip trucks and 50 PAs and a, a huge video village with a bunch of people in it. And like, while that's really fun to watch and be like, wow, look at the spectacle. I don't know. I, I do think that like the, the sweet spot is personally where I think the sweet spot is, is kind of in that, that realm that you're in Scott is that, you know, you have your core team and you have a handful of folks on set, maybe your client and you know, some, some brand folks, but like, I, I like that level of production because you're able to kind of, you're able to be agile, you're able to be creative, you're able to do do the work, and you're not always strung up on some of the minutia that kind of happens when you have a lot of chiefs under under one roof, and that ultimately sometimes that like sometimes you need that, you know, like that's just kind of the nature of the beast. Sometimes you need to have all those those eyes and those hands and all that stuff. But I think for the 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 sweet spot of work that I think is the most fun, rewarding. Um, you know, you can accomplish it within a reasonable timeline in terms of pre-production and post. Like it's that kind of that realm, that kind of crew size. I totally agree. My, the thing I like is when I'd work on a project and there's like one or two clients who, who really have say so, 
like who who know their content. They they rep, they know how to represent the the company, um, and I trust their input. And I'm happy to have them with me, and they can stand right next to me because I do like I know that they represent who I'm ultimately trying to please in a way. So like yeah, absolutely. When there's a whole group of people, it's kind of like wait a second, like who's really in charge? Right. You know, who, who, who do I need to please here? Um, or what if I have to have a, a conversation, who do I really need to have that conversation with? I don't know that 10 people is a, is a great way to do that. One or two, I think it's a very good way, good way to do that. Um, and I, I like working with people that have status within the company, you know, and they can make a call and feel confident in it. Um, I know that Ashton and I have a, have a mutual friend who we both have done work for at the agency. And she was that person. She was there and she could make the call and she told you if she didn't like it, she wasn't nasty about it. Um, but you know, she could tell you, let's not do it that way. Let's think of something else, you know? Um, but she would also say, looks great to me. Shoot it. I always, I mean like, you know, David, I've talked about this about clients, client experiences, you know, that we've always been, and I, you know, that I, or at least I, I can certainly appreciate or when clients can be kind of direct. And I, I say that not in a sense where they're harsh, but like, if you don't like something, it's best you tell me now because I can fix that now. You know, if you tell me later, I can't I can't change it. You know, or like if you tell me after I've spent an hour, you know, digging through this, that's wasted time. So, you know, I, I almost to a certain degree appreciate someone being like, nah, this isn't working. Try something different. Okay, great. Like I can know I can move on, I can figure something else out, you know. I'll take that any day. Absolutely. Of the week. I don't even care if you're mean about it. Just let me know that yeah. you hate it and let's move on. <laughs> yeah. So. I've also, though, I, it's funny, it took me a long time to get here, but I'm also very, like, diplomatically honest with clients now, where I had an experience not that long ago where we had shot something, and after we had we had moved on and we were setting up our next sequence of shots, um, I got a question about whether we could, like, remove something and post, and it wasn't like a light switch in the background. It was like something somebody was holding in their hand. Right. <laughs> and I was like, and I said, we, I said, you know, um, we don't have that in our budget to do that kind of removal. I certainly know a VFX person who can take that out, you know, if we have p budget to do so. Sure. Um, you know, but if we need to reshoot it, let's reshoot it. What do you want to do? You know, and uh, and ultimately they were like, you know what? It's actually not a big deal. Forget about it. It's like, okay, that's great. Which was a relief for me, Hell obviously, yeah. but I put it out there. It's like, oh, we can, we can have somebody digitally remove that stuff. It, it's not going to be me because that's not what I specialize in. I'll have to kick it to a VFX person. Um, they might charge us, I don't know, $5,000, but yeah. it can be done. And they're like, oh yeah, we don't need to do that. Yeah. I mean, that's the thing is like, you, you hear a lot of those questions I feel like on every shoot now where it's like, well, Hey, is it hard to change the color? And like, no, it's not hard, but it's going to cost money because it takes more time mm -hmm. that we didn't, you know, same thing. Like I tell people all the time, like anything is possible. It just, it depends on how much money you pain? have. You know, it's like, yeah, <laughs> you know, like we can do it. It's just, <laughs> yeah. you know, what, what are you willing to pony up for it? Uh, knowing that it's going to yeah, take I mean, somebody's yeah. time to figure that out. I think that gets back to like experience. I mentioned earlier about how like, I've now seen so many different projects and how they unfurl that like now I'd rather just be very honest on the set and say, you know, if you want to do that, here are the dominoes it's going to tip over. Um, because I've, I've been in the situation before I've seen this before. I'm just being honest. I, yeah. and I try to be super nice about how I do that. And I think that's the problem is that some people are 
can be, you know, kind of a-holes about how they convey that information. I just try to be very nice, but honest. But it's funny how it, it took me years to get where, like, I felt confident enough in my experience to say, we probably should not do this thing that you're talking about, and here's why. Mm-hmm. But yeah. if it must be done, here's how it happens. And there's always those, like, That's points an- of validation when you, like, you get down that rabbit hole. Like, you know, t- damn the torpedoes. We're going to do it anyway. And you're like, all right, well, you know, I've I've said my piece. You know, I've put my considerations out there for everyone to kind of take in. And when you get to that point where it all kind of hits the fan, you're like, here we are. Now we have to dig ourselves out. Right. Yeah. <laughs> told you so. I mean, like, you know, I didn't <laughs> right. mean to, but like, here we go. Yeah. Like, you know, I don't quite say I told you so, but I, I am a fan of like, hmm, yeah, I just don't think that's going to work. <laughs> there, there was a job I shot maybe like two or three years ago, and it was in a southern state. I want to say Texas or something like that, but it was during the winter. So, you know, things were, it was warm, but things were dead outside. And I was shooting the photo portion and the, the video crew had a PA with them and the the client said something about how the grass was all dead. And the PA chimed up because nobody else was around and said, oh, well, we can fix that in post. So I kind of immediately chimed up and said, oh, yeah, well, we can do that, but we're going to have to discuss how we do that. And the guy in the back seat goes, oh, it's really easy, man. Yeah. Like, I am. Are, well, who the fuck are you and why are you talking right now about changing the color of the grass? And all I could think in my head was, my God, the guy who's filming this and editing this is going to kill you. Because to yeah. change this much grass and make it look good and not look like shit is a massive undertaking. I had an instance like that a few years ago. Um, actually, it's a spot that Ashton worked on, too, where I said they asked about the grass is dead. We were shooting <laughs> a lawn shot in the middle of the winter. And they said, like, well, can we green that up? And I said, we can make it not look as dead. Right. But know that we are shooting this in the last week of February. Like yeah. It is what it is. Um, but we can make it look not so yellow, but it's not going to look like July. Right. So just we cool. And they were like, yeah, that's cool. Just, you know, I was like, okay. You know, so I, I will definitely set an expectation right then and there. Um, because I don't want them thinking it's going to look like a June shot with Bermuda grass. Yeah. I mean, that's it. It comes, it comes down to managing everybody's expectations. This is something that we've talked about, you know, too many times on this program, but can never get enough coverage on it at the same time. Like you have to, the biggest thing is managing what your client thinks is going to come out of the shoot, you know? And like, like we said, anything is possible, but what do they really expect and what do they really have money for? And what do we really have time for and all that? And that's, that's the hardest part, you know, like the filming is the easy part going out there and making the shots is the fun part. You know, it's telling yeah, or, everybody or it should be, yeah. it should be technically it should be. Well, and I mean, I, I think, I mean, to dovetail on all that, like, it's it's a managing expectations i mean you know can it be done sure should it be done i think that's the other question that like you know to scott's point about like feeling good about your experience and your knowledge to kind of pipe up and say that there's a time period of in the trenches doing the work you know being battle tested where then you eventually go we could do that but no matter what it's still gonna look like crap you know what i mean like i think there inevitably there are some things like yeah you could change the color and Getting it convincing is like there's that that extra ten percent that makes all the difference in some of these things, and I feel like mm. that sometimes is a situation where, you know, like a younger version of me would have been like, oh yeah, we can definitely do that if we revisit the budget a little bit. I can I can make that work, and then you know you get to the part where you're yeah. doing it and you're like, I've done it. It doesn't look like something I'm proud of, you know. And so now you're putting right. work out that you had to like finagle to get into the spot that's passable, and then you don't even love it. And I think that's a on its whole, that's a learning point, right? So it's like, can yeah. you do it? Sure. Should you do it? That's the other question. Yeah. 
And really, yeah, where's the focus, to, though? Where, where yeah. is the focus? Like, are you really going to notice that the grass is... I mean, you were obviously filming a piece for grass <laughs> or something like that. So, so yeah, you might want to fix it up a bit. But, like, really, if there's someone talking here and, you yeah. know, the rest is just... I actually, just the other night we were watching... I, I can't watch movies anymore because I see all the stuff, right? Oh, yeah. You know, man. like, oh, once yeah. you get into it. So, the other night we were watching that movie, Dave, about how he becomes mm-hmm. president. And the, the whole scene yeah. where he goes to speak to Congress... If you ever pay attention in the top right corner, they have CGI the entire upper balcony of Congress. Oh, yeah. And when and when the Congress stops clapping and sits down, all the people on the top row are still standing and clapping. Uh, so, interesting. Somebody but nobody's to, looking at the top right. Yeah. You're looking at yeah. the president on the bottom left. And so they were like, clearly somebody was like, fuck it, move on. We've got enough, right? Like nobody's I, I, that's a I big tell part people, of it. I tell people all the time that like when when stuff like this comes up. And sometimes it comes up internally, you know, at the agency. Well, gosh, well, what about that thing? And it's like, well, look, I was like, what's your favorite Marvel movie? Like Black Panther? Okay, great. That's a great movie. If you want, I can create you a stack, a laundry list of inconsistencies, seams in the VFX, (laughs) um, continuity problems. But you're not watching it like that. You're watching it because you love Black Panther and you love Marvel movies and like, so don't worry about like our viewer is not watching this 30 second TV ad that way. Nope. They're not. We are because we're filmmakers. Um, but it's funny, the more I meet like other filmmakers, like they all know this and yeah, there's always things that aren't perfect in that final cut. Oh, hell yeah. Um, but you're the only one that sees it and you're the only, and even if somebody else saw it, they don't care. No, it's 30 seconds. <laughs> yeah. They've forgotten it, but it. It's, it's, it's funny how hard it is to explain that to people. I read a fascinating interview or a, a, it was like a, it was a, a an article about uh, Stanley Kubrick mm-hmm. and how he knew that the shining is littered with inconsistencies right. and like littered with continuity problems and things that he weren't really meant to be in the frame, but like he didn't care. And his whole reasoning was the audience doesn't watch, isn't going to watch this movie. First. It also gives it that human right. effect. Yeah. Yeah. What's know? the what's the Steve Jobs I, quote? I do, Real it's artist ship. It's like at the end of the day, you got to put it out there. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I, I uh, it's funny. The older I've gotten, when I was younger, I never ever thought of myself as any kind of artist. It was like, no, no, I'm a journalist, or now I'm just a PR dude, um, or well, you know, I'm a I do some video stuff uh, for my firm, my agency. Um, but as I've gotten older, like I have started to kind of go like, no, 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 that's that's the art of it. Right. Or like happy accidents, like that's the art of it. Or you know what? We can't get that thing perfect, but that's okay. It's the art of it. And I then I've started going like, oh my God, like, are you saying you're an artist? Oh God, I'm not an artist. <laughs> um, but I am, and I just think that, but I also think that people sometimes expect things to be so paint by numbers. And sometimes you have to paint outside those numbers some, and like, it's okay. It's not a mistake that you painted outside that number. Um, you, you dealt with the hand that you had that day, like the green, the yellow grass. Right. Knowing that we can, we can help that. We won't make it perfect, but that will be okay because this dude's talking over here on this side of the screen. And that's, you know, um, but it's funny how I have started to sort of appreciate the artistry of, stuff that happens on set and accepting all that more than I used to. I feel like the art is in the, is in the jazz part of it, right? It's the riffing, right? It's the, here's what I had. Here's what I made. Here's what I was able to do with what I had at the time. And now I'm going to push it and pull it and 
you know, cut it and chop it and all that stuff into what it inevitably will become. And I think that's the art, right? Like it's, it's, it's in every bit of the process, but like ultimately it's in the finagling and the, the finessing of things. Yeah. I also feel like that there's an element, um, though we're like, you know, the suits and the powers that be sometimes like they want, they want technology doing things that art used to do. Like I know there's a company now that feeds, um, books like call it a, let's say young adult books. They feed the text of young adult books into the software and that software burns through them. And based on how it analyzes them, decides if it would make a viable movie for like in terms of box office success. (laughs) So it can, it can read that book and say like, how close is this to twilight? How much did twilight (laughs) make? What was the production cost on twilight? And it can basically use an algorithm that says this movie is a viable candidate to be a financially successful box office movie. Crazy. Um, Versus somebody reading it and going, wow, this is, uh, you know, this Divergent series is interesting. It's kind of like The Hunger Games, but it's a little different. I think we should make this into a movie. And I don't know how I feel about that because I think part of the artistry is in that person reading it and saying, wow, this, I think this could be good. Um, But it was interesting. I was having a conversation with somebody else who's really into data about that process, the, the, the algorithm. And they were like, I mean, that's just going to be huge. That's just going to be amazing. Wow. <laughs> and I was just like, part of my soul is dying yeah. knowing that this exists. Um, that's a real tangent. But it shows you, I think, like, there are people that, in a way, want art taken out of the process a little bit. Right. Which is scary. And I think there's a happy medium somewhere. Mm-hmm. You yeah. know, that's uh, usually, you know, in everything we do and talk about and whatever, there, it's, it's finding that middle ground. And, you know, it's not... It's not zero or a hundred. It's somewhere in the middle that's going to produce a, a nice product that that the masses can enjoy. You know, I think I, I don't know. Yeah. It's not. It's not. Um, I think you'll go through a period of time where that's the cool new thing and everybody does it, right? And then I'll, you'll see in ten years they'll start going back to like, well, what if we just read the book and came up with an idea on our own? Right. How yeah. novel is that shit? <laughs> like, <laughs> you know, I think back in the day that's how they did it. <laughs> it's like vinyl. Let's do it yeah. that way again. No. Look, like what's back? Cassette tapes, uh, vinyl, uh, film. I mean, like, you know, you've got this generation of people who never experienced tangible content. And those are the people who are now flooding to cassettes and film and vinyl and, you know, shit we can hold on to. I mean, there's a generation that didn't get to touch shit because it was all on a computer. And now they're realizing like, oh, wait. Now, of course, they're also realizing like, shit, this is really bad for the environment. Like, Film is horrible. Yeah. Well, I mean, we're all, but we're seeing it like digitally, Paper. though. Like, uh. influ- like if you just take music as an yeah. example, uh, like the influence of those analog Magic Air quote formats, you know, like tape hiss and record, like the record hiss, like that's those are plugins now, you know, yeah. like yeah. and and pay a lot of money yeah, for that. And shit. it's like one of those situations where you know, or I mean, for photographers in video folks, the like the easiest parallel is like film luts. Hey, get this yeah. to look like Kodachrome. Yeah. Like, all right, cool, you know. Yeah. So like it, it, those things influence. So I, I do think it's interesting to see what those algorithms kind of detail right back, like the algorithms, how they influence the art that's being made, but then how mm-hmm. the response to that art is going to influence the next wave of art that gets made after that. Right. And how does that all kind of, you know, how did, how did it actually work in the first place? Cause a lot of what I think people think about, you know, how a film gets made or something like that isn't actually how it gets made at all. You know, like it's oh, just yeah, just this sure, idea. Yeah. I've been like 
now that we're stuck inside, I've been watching more YouTube than ever. And uh, I've been focused on watching all of these old, like Ansel Adams, right? Like, how did he get this? The amount of retouching that happened in an Ansel Adams print will blow your fucking mind. Okay. Like <laughs> we're talking completely reshaping what was a scene right now. Right. You don't think about that when you think about Ansel Adams. You don't think about like, oh man, that guy really tweaked his photos. Yeah. <laughs> but the right, fact yeah. of the matter is he did. He wrote the book on how to retouch, you know, and tweak a print to get it to look the way that you want it to. And so the fact that nowadays people are like, oh, you can Photoshop anything. Yeah. Well, you could Photoshop anything before there was Photoshop too. Mm-hmm. You know, there was a lot yeah. of, a lot of shit that went down that nobody really knew about. David, you mentioned, um, you, you, you just mentioned people not understanding, like people thinking they know how like a movie is made right. and they really don't, or they have this like Pollyanna idea of it. I've been, um, I got a masterclass subscription cause mm-hmm. again, we're trapped inside and I have been tearing <laughs> through the Werner Herzog masterclass and it's, it's so good. Yeah. I've also done, I've also been in the uh, Ron Howard one too, but Werner Herzog is like us. I mean, he's a real director, but he talks he talks about how much the catering costs. I do not want my catering costs being $15,000. It needs to be $800, you know. Um and yeah. he but he talks about everything we're talking about. Like why why would I come to set knowing exactly where I'm going to put the camera? No, it's the art. I have to put it. I know I have an idea, but I want to see what the what is the set giving me? Um but it's right. it's interesting. But he talks about like financiers and notes from the studio, and it's all these types of things we're talking about. Where it's like, you know, and he he, uh, it's really interesting. His take on filmmaking is very much. I think you you would all relate to it. What's interesting though, Ron Howard's is a little more of like a a studio where it's like all this fairly mm-hmm. rigid process, which is fine. I mean, that's his deal. And it's like very rigid process all kinds of rounds, r- tons of rounds of everything and every phase of production. And then, uh, but even he is like, but then on set, that's kind of where the art happens uh, and in the editing room. But uh, I highly recommend the Werner Herzog masterclass um, because you can also, I could listen to him talk for like 24 hours straight. I almost feel like the democratization, like, you know, of, of our industry, kind of like, you know, the, the equipment has gotten more or less easier to access, right? Like, Good love, like good equipment, good gear, good kit is more affordable yeah. than it's ever been, right? And at this point, like the limiting factors are more or less your your creativity and how well you know the tools, right? So I think that that like because people that don't do that aren't in the trenches don't do that, they don't see the the doing part, like the edit or you know assembling. Because I think, hey, can you just set up a camera on sticks and shoot this thing and we'll make a movie? And it's like, mm, no, I mean. Yes, but no, right? You have to think through the assembly, the story, how you're going to put those things together, you yeah. know, reverse angles, all that stuff. It's all the stuff that like, you know, gets lost in in the idea of like, oh, well, we have a camera. You have some people. Let's go make a thing. And, you know, I mean, Scott, I remember, you you know, being corporate, that feel like that's a, a lot of the the friction that we have as filmmakers or artists. It's it's the idea that like, you know, yes, the, the equipment is, is easier to access. It's cheaper than it's ever been, et cetera, et cetera, whatever. Mm-hmm. But that doesn't mean that the the skill set to put that thing together coherently is yeah. any less difficult, yeah. right? Well, yeah. Ashton, you and I used to always joke that like we would see something come back. We, we would get a we would get a cache of footage from a client or something or somebody, and it was shot on like a red epic. And 
in like a situation where like a 5d would have done perfectly fine like it's just like and uh and even maybe this red stuff looks terrible anyway and probably because it's a more complex camera than the person shooting should have been shooting with and we would always say like you know just you can shoot garbage on a red you can shoot garbage on an alexa and you can shoot something beautiful on a 6d you know it's like you you need to know how to use the gear and that's why i'm a big fan of um like i hang on to gear forever because i want to wear it out and know that i have pushed it every single way i could and that it simply will not do something I need it to do and not through my lack of knowledge. Right. Um, so that's a, that's a little bit of a gear tangent, but I love talking about gear, but I, I the problem is me, not the yeah. gear. Like the problem is never the gear. The problem is me, or I need to move that light or, um, you know, we've got to figure out a different way to mic this. It's not like the microphone and it's not the camera. It's our know-how of how to use right. it. So yeah, I will wear some stuff out uh, for sure. Yeah, that's the problem is that, you know, as the as the creator of whatever you're creating, <laughs> um, you, you you tend to climb inside of it and nitpick the shit out of it, you know, mm-hmm. as you should. But the real trick is learning when to walk away from it, which is what we've been talking about for the last 30 minutes now. It's like, you know, people aren't going to notice the shit that you are, you know, really, really leaning on, you know, to, to change here. It's, it's probably not going to, Probably not going to go, you know, super noticed. Yeah. There's other things that people are paying attention to. The The message in the video that you're producing is far more important than whether the grass is yellow or green. Yeah. One of my favorite, one of my favorite directors is David Sandberg. Um, he's mm-hmm. the guy that directed Shazam and Lights Out. Um, and he comes from the short film world. He and his wife, Lotta, they're from Sweden. Um, but when he, he, he still makes like online tutorial videos and he makes behind the scenes videos of his short films, even, oh, no though, he's, shit. even though he's like a Hollywood director now. Like, <laughs> and he, he, his last behind the scenes um, short, he is titled good enough. And he talks about how he was making this short film. It's very effects. E a lot of blender work, but there there's like five instances where he says, so I got to the point where I said, well, shit, that's good enough. Like everything, you know, it's like, <laughs> can it just be good enough? Um, and I'm a big fan of that. But yeah, David Sandberg is a great person to follow on social channels. He's constantly posting behind the scenes stuff. He's a big black magic uh, camera guy, which I, I'm into black magic's gear too. But um, yeah, David Sandberg, definitely somebody to follow. If, if you like cool. hearing sort of down to earth explanations of stuff. Does he do that on his YouTube or on a. Yeah. So his YouTube is pony smasher. Okay. Not not David, not David. Not David F. Sandberg. It's Pony That's Smasher. Good. That's good though. <laughs> um, yeah, it's great. And um, and he so he's Pony Smasher on everything. So if you're looking him up on all the channels, look up Pony Smasher. But his YouTube is great. And when he's filming a real movie, his activity ebbs, and he's the first one to say so. But he usually, when he's in between productions, tries to get back on the stick and make short films with he and his wife, um, and always a behind the scenes of how he did it. Super cool. This looks amazing. His his I'm like digging through his YouTube as we speak. The titles alone make me want to watch everything. <laughs> there's a great there's a great video called Making a Shitty Dolly. Yeah. <laughs> and I and I I was um I had a sabbatical a few years ago and watched that video and made myself a shitty dolly based off his video. And I so good. I like sent an Instagram note to him and was like, I'm making it now. And he wrote me back <laughs> and was like, It's gonna be shitty, you know. Uh <laughs> it's no, and the beauty is like the, 
here's the other thing. His videos are all like three to five minutes long. Like they're not. Yeah. How to make a shitty dolly is four minutes and 20 seconds. Like I can afford to waste four minutes and 20 seconds, even if I never build that dolly. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> um, Love it. He also gives a lot of like, this is what you think test screenings are, but this is yep. what they really are. Like a lot of that sort of behind the scenes film voodoo, film industry voodoo, he kind of dispels. That's a big thing too, man, that, you know, like you hear, like you just said, like test screenings, right? Like everybody who's anybody who's making a film be like, oh, you know, the test screening. That's a, it's a hot topic. That's a term that you got to use. It's a thing that you got to do. Right. But like really when you boil down to it, like what the fuck does that mean? And do you really need it? Yeah. Chances are you don't. I mean, you know, you might. I don't know. Like, it depends on how much money is being spent, too. Test screenings are because someone else is spending a shit ton of money on your idea, and they want to make sure that they're going to get their investment back. That's what a test screening is actually for. Yep. If you do a film on your own, chances are you're not going to test screen it. You're like, yeah, man, this is awesome. Yeah. Let's show it to the world. <laughs> and and he does have kind of a, 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 he does share those perspectives, but he does also share that like, hey, if if I'm not sure of my ending... And the studio wants to pay to have a bunch of people watch it and give me, give us feedback. Yeah. Sure. And, and, and then they're willing to reshoot that ending. Let's do it. <laughs> like, right. Why not? Yeah. Why not? Yeah. <laughs> it's a process. I think what's most interesting about all of his stuff. And I say this like holistically across what we do, like when it comes to like at a certain level, at, at the level, most of us perform like, right. It's like there are, a lot of self-imposed hurdles, right? Um, it's like, oh, my gear isn't good enough. Well, actually, it's your creativity. That's what's really holding you back. Or, you know, or, or I don't want to put this out until it's perfect. With the re- when the realization or the reality is, is that, you know, people digest your free, your free content with just as much happiness as they would if it, like, you know what I mean? Like, I think there's a certain level of like, at the end of the day, yeah. it's still, it's free stuff out in the world for me to look at. Like, I'm not going to not, I'm yeah. not going right. to hate it. Like, you know, I, I don't know. And it's I love, I love imperfect stuff. I love imperfect stuff. And I've gotten, you know, Ashton knows I've sort of over the last six months built out a YouTube channel that does not have a lot of views. So I'm always looking for the there views. There we go. Uh, what? Smash subscribe. You, hit like. Do you have a cool name like Pony Smasher though? No, Maybe it's that's just your Scott problem. Hartman. Yeah. It's just like so blah. This dude. Um, I, do call, I do call the show Failure Filmmaking because it's like my place to fail. So like I, cool. it's Failure Filmmaking. Um but no, the channel is my name. I should probably change the name of the channel, but uh, that's that's too much. But um, I that's love good. imperfect stuff, and I post imperfect stuff all the time. I've Ash and I talk a lot about like if you're not posting anything, then or if you're not making anything, the first step is making yeah. stuff. You can't yeah. post anything that hasn't been made. So like every now and then, I I haven't had time to make like a little project or to do like a little tutorial or a review. Um, so I literally will like record in my car as I'm driving down the street and like, you know what, that's this week's video because that's all I got. But at least it kept me doing something. And, um, you know, I, I just, I, on a personal level, I won't wait until things are perfect. I will go ahead and put it out there. I made an ad for Girl Scout cookies, Samoas, uh, earlier this week. <laughs> That'll be dropping, uh, next couple of days on the YouTube channel and there it's not perfect, but it's, I think it's really good and it's funny um, I wrote the jingle, I sing the jingle, um, you know, uh, but it's not perfect and you could tear it apart, but that, that's sure. not why I made it. I made it to be kind of funny and goofy. Uh, and because we're slow at the office right now, we're slow at work right now. Yeah. I needed something to do to make sure I'm not forgetting how to use well, a camera. And I think 
I think it's so the metric. It's, I think it's shifting the balance or the 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 motivation from I'm going to make this thing so people like it to I'm going to make this thing because I like it. I think that's yeah, that's yeah. the more that's the reason. That's what we should all strive for: make things that you want to make because you want to make them, not because you want other people to like them. Um, because that's what keeps you from doing that and then doing the thing after that and the thing after that, which will inevitably be your better, better. You know what I mean? Like it, you get better the more you do this. They're like, it's like calisthenics. It's exercise. And you can't get to yeah. the best or the peak of your ability unless you work up that, you know? And so it, it's the idea of just do the thing, finish the drill, make the widget, whatever it is, just do it. And it doesn't have to be good. It just has to be out, out of your brain. But it does have to be out done. Out of your brain yeah. into the right. ether, so you can get, so you can fixate your brain on the next thing that you want to make. And I, I, I am, um, yeah, no, Ashton. I think you have read this book. Um, I'm a big fan. I don't read a lot of self help stuff. In fact, I think self help stuff is kind of silly, and I think it's it's just a business unto itself. I, I love it when I see a, a leadership guru who's written ten books, and I'm like, why did it take ten? Couldn't he have gotten that all in one? And oh, it's because he wanted to monetize 10 books. Mm-hmm. Um, but I read about a year ago, I read The Subtle Art of Not Giving a Fuck. Um, and I'm sorry, I can't remember the author's name. Ashton may know it. Sa- same guy that wrote um, the We're All Hopeless or It's All Hopeless or whatever. Um, but The Subtle Art of Not Giving a Fuck. And it's it's funny. Right. It's not about not giving a fuck. It's about choosing what you care about and and not worrying about other stuff that other people want you to care about. Um, and that's what I think triggered me a little bit to be like, I'm going to make this thing and yeah. it's not going to be perfect. And you know what? I don't care. I'm going to post it anyway. And maybe people see it and maybe they don't, but I can send it to people and say, look at the thing I made. Um, I'm not Casey Neistat and I'm not Peter McKinnon. Uh, and that stuff kind of drives me nuts. Uh, in fact, I, I kind of make fun of that stuff on my YouTube channel a little bit, even though I do appreciate those guys. I'm just a dude. Right. trying to make some fun stuff outside of making the corporate stuff or the the job stuff, the J-O-B job stuff. There you go. So Scott I think that's YouTube kind of where I've landed at, at 42 <laughs> years old. Boom. There we go. <laughs> so, I mean, but it's like, that's the, the, these are the building blocks to getting to that. Casey Neistat once made a shitty video. Like you have to, you have to embrace that. Like, and I, one might argue he still does well, and I mean, like, I, I think that, you know, some people will criticize this stuff as being very one dimensional, but like that's, yeah. but he, that's his edit style. That's what he that's does. Him. And he does it. I think yeah. he does it very, very well. And he amassed a following that agrees with him. So like at the same time, he, I don't Definitely. think he started doing this for the idea of like, people are going to love this. I think he just did it because that's what he, like, I think if you watch Casey nice, that stuff, I'll use him as the example. Cause it's what we're talking about. Like he's been mm-hmm. filming himself for years, years before YouTube was ever really a thing. And, and so, like, at that point, yeah. he's, you know, that's just what he does. I've, he's just been doing it so long that, like, that's what he likes to do. That's how he makes his, his widget. That's like, those are his things. Um, and, I mean, like, I don't know, Peter McKinnon, the same thing. Like, the man makes his stuff and doesn't care if you like it or not, but there are a lot of you that do now. So, I don't, I don't know. I, yeah. Just keep doing doing stuff. Like, it doesn't have to appease anybody. It just has to make you happy. If, it, if it's one of those things, like, if you're, I don't know, I, I wake up in the morning most mornings, not all mornings, because some days are truly a struggle. But like it's you have an idea or you want to do something you need to make. You need to you need to make the a thing. Be creative. Color, draw, paint, whatever. Make pictures. And if you don't, then like you feel it. You can you can physically feel it like that was a shitty day. Like I don't I didn't do anything. I didn't feel great about it. 
So just get it out of your get it out of your system. Keep making, keep doing, and inevitably the things will get better. Um, I, I know I watch a lot of yeah. young creators that are now like they jumped on board this YouTube train. Like, oh, this is cool. You know, Mark has Brownlee, MKBHD. He does tech. I love tech videos. He does tech videos. He makes lots of money. He does his what he want, what he loves to do. And it's like you go back and watch his very first video when he was yeah. like twelve years old or whatever. It's yeah. garbage. By by today's standards, it's garbage. But like he had to make that thing, and he he did a good job for a twelve year old. Yeah. Like, it's incredible. And now he does what he does at a very high level with a you know a very a very polished piece, and you know he gets paid handsomely for it. Right. So like again, just. Do you? Yeah, when I was when I was twelve years old, me and my buddies yeah. made like Batman movies and Rambo movies and Friday the Thirteenth, Nightmare on Elm Street movies in our backyards and houses. And um, one of my big things, and it was so <laughs> awesome. It's like it's funny. I had that childhood that's like, oh, you should be like J.J. Abrams, and it's like, but I'm not. Um, but once, so when I do little personal projects. That was fun. And I remember that stuff being so fun. And so when I do a little personal thing, it's like, I'm not doing this unless I think I'm going to have fun and sort of recapture that a little bit because I've got plenty of work work to do. Um, if I'm going to do a fun thing, I want it to be fun and I want to feel a little bit like totally. I'm, you know, making a <laughs> Batman movie in my backyard circa 1990. In fact, if you go on my YouTube channel, there's a little documentary I made about how we made a Batman movie. It's like six minutes long. Oh, sick. Um, me and me and a buddy you, interviewing each other and talking about it. It's actually I, I've watched. It. It's actually kind of it's funny when you when you see like the cutbacks to the film, like from the VHS tape, like like you record straight to tape. Pretty pretty yeah. decent. For a production of that time <laughs> of that size, you guys are pretty good kids. So. I think that's a, a pretty good way to wrap it all up. I mean, we have these careers that we we do this this thing that we do in this creative world. For anyone out there that's fresh in the game, your young creator, or, or maybe you've been at it for a hot minute, realizing that like the, it's very much about the journey. You know, where you start is very may not be very far, or is very far from where you begin. But it's being open to the idea of like learning, continuing to do, continuing to make, and knowing that that process is what will push you forward. You know, you don't always have to have an endpoint. You don't always have to have the solution. But if you can continue to make, do things that inspire you or make you feel better, then you can very much get to where you need to be. Hell yeah. <laughs> boom, boom. You're here. Uh, all right. Well, that's going to do it for us here. Big, huge shout out to you, Scott. And a huge thank you. Thank you, Scott, for taking the time to talk with us today. Yeah, thanks, man. Yeah, man. If you're out there in listener land, check out Scott's YouTube. Give him a give him a couple of views, a couple of follows. Give him some comments. Keep his uh, keep his content train going. And uh, yeah, the uh, Office Hours podcast is recorded in stereo sound at the Tannery Studio in Stanton, New Jersey, by David Patino. My name is Ashton Tanishevsky, and we will see you guys in the next one. Peace. Peace.